Well, today we are continuing in our series, Epic, Great God, Great Stories. We're going to be in the book of Daniel, chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to look at verses 16 through 18 here in a few minutes. Um, A little background on what we're going to read today. Uh, First of all, the the, the lead up to what's happening in in the uh, story that we look at today is very similar to the story of Gideon. And it's going to be very similar in a lot of the stories we look at in the Old Testament. Israel had been unfaithful to God for many years. And God had been graciously sending prophets to Israel, uh, warning them uh, that judgment was coming if they did not turn back to him. Uh, Sadly, the warnings didn't result in any change. And so eventually, judgment did come in the form of Babylon and Babylon's King Nebuchadnezzar Uh, defeating Israel, taking many of God's people back to Babylon as captives. And and within the first wave of captives that were taken from Israel to Babylon were three Hebrew young men named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Actually, those are the names we most know them by, but those were not actually their, their names. They weren't their given names. The Babylonians had a practice of renaming people that they would carry into captivity, These young men's given names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But once captured and carried off to to Babylon, they were renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By the way, the enemy of your soul always tries to change your identity from what God says it is uh, to something that that is a perversion of what God says your identity is. And uh, one of the challenges we have in life is to continue to hold on to and affirm who God says we are rather than who the enemy says we are. Because the Babylonians found these three young men to be exemplary and to be very gifted young men. In fact, in Daniel 1, they're described as being without physical defect, handsome, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And because the Babylonians recognized this, they were selected to be trained to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we're not going to read the whole chapter today, but in verses 1 through 12, these young men run into a faith-challenging situation. They ran head-on into the kind of trouble that seriously challenges a person's faith. So here they are in captivity, serving King Nebuchadnezzar, captives serving their captor, and they're doing this while still remaining faithful to God, remaining faithful to Yahweh. Nebuchadnezzar has this bright idea and he uh, commissions the, the, the construction of a golden statue. The Bible says it's 90 feet, it was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And Nebuchadnezzar issued a decree to the people of the land that when they heard certain kind of music being played, they were to know that that was a call to worship the golden statue. And so everybody in the land was to fall down and to worship the statue. The decree stated that if you refused to worship the statue, you had committed an offense that was punishable by death. And the form of death that Nebuchadnezzar chose was fiery furnace. And so basically anyone who refused to worship the statue was going to be burned alive. Nebuchadnezzar was demanding idolatry of the people, including these three young men who were faithful to God So so Nebuchadnezzar is commanding that people who are committed to fidelity to Yahweh compromise that 
and serve and worship an idol. They're captive. Uh, I'm sorry, their captor, the person who holds uh, their lives in his hands, he demands that they compromise their faithfulness to God and commit idolatry. Worship the idol or die. That's the situation that they're in. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused. They would not worship the golden image. Unfortunately for them, there were some Babylonian tattletales who ran to Nebuchadnezzar with the news, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego pay no attention to you. They refuse to serve your gods and they're not worshiping the gold statue when the music plays. And in verses 13 through 18 of chapter 3, we're told of how this angered Nebuchadnezzar. We're told that he flew into a rage and he demanded that these three young men be brought in to see him. And when they're brought in, he issues an ultimatum to them. He says, I'm going to give you one more chance, but if you don't take it, if you don't bow, if you don't worship the image, I'm going to throw you into the furnace and what God is going to be able to deliver you from my power. And then in verses 16 through 18, we see the response of these three young men, and that's going to be what I'm talking about today. We'll look at that in a few minutes, but but, but what I want to share right now is their response, again, is to refuse to worship the golden statue. So it's been initially decreed that they must worship, and they have refused. Now they've been given a direct ultimatum from the king, and they have refused again. This is where we're at. And then verses 19 through 30, we read of them facing the consequences of refusing to compromise. Nebuchadnezzar was so enraged by their refusal that the Bible says his face became distorted with rage. Have you ever seen anyone's face distorted with rage? Don't look at your spouse. Most of us have seen that, right? We've seen, uh, we've seen someone's face distorted with rage. Maybe not quite like Nebuchadnezzar's, but, but we can kind of imagine what that looks like. He was so angry that he had the furnace heated up seven times hotter than normal. And the furnace was so hot that the Bible tells us the men who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into it uh, were killed by the flames of the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar is really excited about what he's doing. He, he wants to watch these young men who were so defiant die. And so he's peering into the furnace. He's watching. He's waiting to revel in the death of the young men. And the Bible tells us that suddenly he jumps up and he says, didn't we throw three people in there? I see four of them now. And one of them looks like a god. In my Pentecostal background, there would have been lots of screaming and hollering at that point right there. <laughs> but I accept responsibility. I didn't lead you up to the edge good enough to... Uh, one of these days. They're not being consumed by the fire. His... His soldiers are dead. The men actually in the fire are alive. And there's so all right, all right. 
<laughs> and there's someone else in the fire with them. It's amazing. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls them to come out of the fire. And the Bible says that they came out and, quote, the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They did not even smell like smoke. And so the result of this is that Nebuchadnezzar praised their God and then he promoted them to even higher positions than they previously had in their service to him. But of course, in keeping with his stellar disposition, what Nebuchadnezzar did next was he announced that anybody who spoke poorly of the Hebrew God would be ripped limb from limb and their house reduced to rubble. Lesson not learned. <laughs> so, oh, that's, that's sad, but kind of hilarious in a, in a way. The fourth person in the fire with them was an angel of the Lord. God was with them, delivered them from the death threat. Not only delivered them, but promoted them. They were faithful in the face of faith challenging trouble. And God delivered them, and God promoted them. It's a great story. Now, even with the, the limits of my storytelling ability, I hope that you've been able to kind of imagine this story a little bit, allow the, the video reel to play in your mind what this might have looked like. It's an amazing story. Can we agree that being threatened with death for your faith would be a faith-challenging event. And so they face the death threat. They remain faithful. God delivers them. That's the story. The part of the story that I want to focus on today is found in verses 16 through 18, and the response they gave Nebuchadnezzar when he issued his ultimatum. Because within their response, I think we find the clearest picture of faith that pleases God that we can find really in the entire Bible. I think we find the absolute best definition and example of faith in God. We find the kind of faith that endures trouble and remains. Here's what verses 16 through 18 say. Again, this is their response to Nebuchadnezzar when he threatens them with death. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods, or worship the golden statue that you've set up. What a moment. Can you just see that scene in your mind? It's an amazing moment. In the moment where they face the kind of trouble that challenges faith, in the moment where they face the kind of trouble that causes people to understandably say, God, where are you? God, why is this happening? This is the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it illustrates and defines, I believe, the kind of faith that pleases God. What kind of trouble are you facing in your own life that is challenging your faith? Some of us are facing financial troubles that are challenging our faith. 
We have cried out to God maybe for years for a change to our situation, but so far it remains as it has been and we do not know what the end result will be. Some of us are facing health challenges and they can run the gamut of being something that's kind of annoyingly inconvenient to being uh, chronic pain to, to being something much more serious, maybe even to the point of something that threatens our very lives. We have called out to God. We have asked for his intervention. We have asked for his healing. But in the moment we're in now, we're still in the midst of our trouble. We, we still have the problem. We have not been delivered out of it. And we're not sure what the outcome is going to be. Some of us, against our wishes, were estranged from somebody that we love, perhaps even being mistreated by someone we love and, and who should love us. We've cried out to God, God, change the situation. And no matter what, uh, how often we've prayed, no matter how many uh, overtures we've made to the person, the, the relationship has not been healed and we remain uncertain what will ever come of the situation. Maybe it will never change. Maybe you're divorced and single and you don't want to stay single. You've asked God to provide you uh, with someone that you can spend your life with, but so far that prayer has not been answered and right now you see no opportunities that it's going to, to change. Maybe you're here and life hasn't gone as you have planned. You, you know that you have a lot of potential, but your potential has not been fully realized and you're frustrated by it. You're tempted toward disillusionment because you know that you really do have some giftings, you really do have some talents, and you know that you actually have put effort into your pursuits, but for various reasons, it's just never panned out the way that you imagined. You've never reached the future that you imagined you would, and you're starting to wonder if you ever will. You've poured out your heart to God. You've asked God, God, open up the doors. Help me to realize my potential. But right now, you're still in the middle of your frustration and you don't know if you're ever going to get to that preferred future or not. When trouble challenges our faith, here is what faith that pleases God looks like. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, if we are thrown into the trouble, or if we stay in the trouble, the God whom we serve is able to save us. Faith that pleases God is faith that believes God can deliver, that God is able. Already at this point in the story, there are multiple places where God could have spared them from this trouble. God could have prevented them from standing before Nebuchadnezzar receiving a death threat. Somehow, if their refusal to worship would have just like missed the attention of the tattletales. You know, like they position themselves kind of in back of all the people who are bowing down to the image and they just quietly stand there and all the other people are so faithfully worshiping they don't notice them. They, they could have avoided trouble that way. If the tattletales just hadn't been tattletales. If they would have seen him standing and said, eh, I'm just going to mind my own business. I really don't want to get anyone killed today. So I'll, I'll worship and keep myself safe and let, let them deal with their own stuff. If they just hadn't been busybodies, they could have avoided uh, this trouble. And, and of course, another option would have been, uh, once this was brought to Nebuchadnezzar's attention, if he would have sensibly said, oh, 
yeah, I didn't think through that. I didn't mean to make the Hebrews worship the golden image. Yeah, I know they serve Yahweh, so that's fine. They can do what they want. Any of those things could have happened. And of course, God had within his power, God had within his power the ability to make their disobedience go unnoticed. He, he could have orchestrated that. He, he could have put obstacles in the paths of the tattletales to prevent them to get, uh, from getting to the king and telling about it. Even standing before the king, receiving the death threat. Uh, God could have done something to deliver them out of this situation. There are multiple ways already in the story where God could have delivered them, could have already set them free from the situation, but God had not done that. And yet, their confidence in God remains. He could have prevented them from being seen. He hadn't. He could have stopped the tattletales. He hadn't. He could have had Nebuchadnezzar be more sensible. He hadn't. And yet their confidence in God has not changed. Their confidence in God's power remains. They are not questioning if God can deliver them out of this. They know that God can deliver them. They know he has the power to do it. They know that he is able no matter what challenges we face in life that, that, that come up as a challenge to our faith, God can deliver us. We, if we're going to have faith that pleases God, we have to always hold on to that. God can. God is able. There's no situation that surpasses God's ability to deliver, it, uh, to deliver us from it. Not only uh, did they believe he could, but here's the second aspect of faith that pleases God, they believed he would deliver them. The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Faith that pleases God looks in the face of trouble and says, God can deliver me, but doesn't stop there. It also says, God will deliver me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't questioning why God hadn't helped them avoid this situation altogether. They weren't debating whether God really was able or willing. The trouble they faced did not compromise their faith. Their faith in God remained despite the circumstances of their lives not being what they would have chosen. Faith that pleases God knows that God can deliver and believes, knows, that God will deliver. But if we stop here, we don't really have biblical faith. We have parts of biblical faith, but we don't have the full picture. Because at this point, we've described the definition of faith that the prosperity folks embrace. The prosperity gospel embraces. At this point, we've described the de definition of faith of those who believe that deliverance is secured when we refuse doubt and claim whatever we want. When we look at our financial report that shows we're about to go bankrupt and we declare, I am not poor, I am rich. No, you're poor. When we looked at the doctor report that says our cholesterol is off the charts and we declare, my cholesterol is not high. It is normal in Jesus' name. Well, it might get normal in Jesus' name, but right now it's high. Believe God can. 
claim he will. That's it, and it will be done, and that's all that needs to be said about faith. The prosperity folks tell us. The name it and claim it folks say. But here's the reality. That's not all there is to say about faith that pleases God. It's just not. By the way, I, you know, I'm trying to keep things positive, but, but every once in a while you need to kind of tell the truth about things. So here it goes. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. And if you're not familiar with what that is, you're better off. Uh, but, but if you do, just, just be assured it's a false gospel. God promises to meet our needs. I do not believe God is against prosperity at all. But the notion that God wants everyone rich, and if you're not rich, it's because your faith is weak, and you just need to claim it and not doubt, that is a false gospel, and those who teach it are false teachers. And the name it, claim it approach to faith. The belief that you believe God can and will, you declare it to be so, and then you refuse all doubt in order to force it into reality. That is false teaching, more similar to the book The Secret than it is the Bible, and those who teach it are false teachers. You see, biblical faith, faith that pleases God, absolutely does believe that God can. It absolutely does believe that God will. God will. But you don't truly have biblical faith. You don't truly have faith that pleases God until you get to verse 18. The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your hand, your majesty. That's good. That is absolutely a part of biblical faith. And if we get rid of either of those things, we don't have biblical faith either. That absolutely is a part of biblical faith. But you don't fully have faith that pleases God until this. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. You don't have biblical faith, faith that pleases God until you have faith that says, but even if God does not deliver me out of this trouble, even if God does not change this circumstance that I do not like, I will not turn away from him. I will continue to worship and serve him no matter what. God, I would really like to be free from this financial pressure. I, I believe that you can show me the way out of this. I believe that you can even supernaturally provide for me. God, I, I'm trusting you to do it. I'm asking you to do it. I believe you will. But God, even if you don't, and I struggle this way my entire life, I'm still gonna serve you. I'm not gonna turn away from you. I'm not going to compromise my fidelity to you. God, I'd really like to be free from this health problem. I'd really like to have a season of life where I don't have the stress of this problem. I'd really not, uh, I'd really appreciate not having to continue to worry about what this is gonna do to my body and how much this is gonna shorten my life. I know, God, that you can heal me. 
I'm trusting you to heal me. I, I believe that you're going to heal me, but God, even if you don't, I'm going to remain faithful to you. God, I don't want to be single the rest of my life. I believe you can help me find a God-honoring spouse. I'm asking you to do it. I'm, I'm trusting you to do this. But God, even if I remain single the rest of my life, even if I have to deal with that, I'm not going to turn away from you in anger. I'm going to serve you anyway. God, I've tried everything I know to do to fulfill the potential that you have placed within me. God, I feel like I've given it good effort. Honestly, God, I kind of feel like circumstances have conspired against me. I know, God, that you can lead me into a more fruitful future. God, I have to believe that you want me to fulfill my potential, and so I'm trusting you to open up the doors. But God, even if you don't, and I spend my entire life feeling frustrated, never quite accomplish what I think I was supposed to do, God, even if that's what happens, I'm still going to serve you. I'm not going to yield to the temptation to step out of your will in an effort to find fulfillment and purpose. This is biblical faith. This is faith that pleases God. I know God is able. I believe God will. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to serve him. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to turn to a false god no matter what. Whatever trouble is challenging your faith today, this is the way that God wants you to respond to it. This is the way that you please God in the midst of it. You believe both that God can and will deliver you, but you remain faithful to him even if he doesn't. You look your trouble in the face and you say, God is able and God is going to deliver me from you, but even if he doesn't, I'm never yielding to you because I'm yielding to God I'm yielded to him and I will serve him no matter what. Here's what I believe. I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew something that we would do well to know and embrace. And I think on some level we do know this, but we lose sight of it. I think they knew that whether they were delivered out of the fire or whether they died in the furnace, that they were victorious either way. Because here's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, counted as victory. Here was the definition of victory for them. Fidelity to God. Faithfulness to God. That was the definition of success. That was the definition of victory. And here's the truth, friend. If you struggle financially your entire life, and yet it never causes you to turn away from God but you remain faithful to him through it, then you were victorious. If you struggle with health issues, you never get free from them in this life, but you may remain faithful to God through it all, you were victorious. If you face frustration your entire life, things never work out quite the way you thought they were supposed to. You, you, you never quite feel like you've fully realized your potential the way that you intended to, but you remain faithful to God through it all, you were victorious. And when your time of death comes, 
as it will for every single one of us, and you are not delivered from it, but you actually pass from this life, you die. If you face that trouble, continuing to trust God, you were victorious. You were victorious. Many of us will be delivered from troubles in this life. Many of us have been. We have those kinds of testimonies in this congregation. We do experience physical healing. Some of us that are frustrated right now, we, we will see our potential fulfilled. Some of us who are single right now and desire to, to have a spouse, we, we will find a spouse. Whatever other troubles that go beyond these examples I've used today that are represented here, some of you are going to experience deliverance from those troubles. And that's because God is able and God does deliver like he did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But here's what God knows that I think, you know, on some level we know, but we lose sight of. We, we have trouble sometimes living like it's true. Here's what God knows. No matter the trouble we face in this life, even when that trouble is facing the ultimate enemy death, what God knows is that when the worst that can happen, happens. And we pass from this life. In that exact instant, we experience the ultimate victory that God has provided for us through Jesus Christ, eternal life. What? Where's the defeat? Defeat simply ushers us in to the ultimate victory provided by Christ, eternal life. We enter into it. In that place where all of the frustrations of this life are put into their proper perspective. And when we will realize that all the troubles of this life actually serve to increase our joy in eternity. You know that's one of the purposes of troubles in this life? Like the Bible bears this out. One of the purposes of troubles in this life is to increase our joy in eternity. <laughs> I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego spoke more than they even realized they spoke in their response to Nebuchadnezzar. They said, the God whom we serve is able to save us and he will rescue us from your power. Here's the truth. Whether they were delivered from the furnace as they were, or whether they died in the furnace. Either way, they were going to be free from Nebuchadnezzar's power. When we get to the place that we serve God, whether he removes the trouble or the trouble dogs us our entire lives, friends, that is true freedom. The trouble has no control over us at that point. That's true freedom. Faith that pleases God. God can deliver. God will deliver. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to serve him. May that be the kind of faith that each and every one of us practice. Why don't you stand?